Now, one of the important things uh, that we're going to identify here today is uh, this understanding that superheroes, we see them working together, kind of getting partnership. And a great example of this is found in the Avengers. And so kind of uniting to, 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 to save the world, to go get these Infinity Stones, and they're partnering together. They're, they're about to do, ready to do whatever it takes to come together to get these things back, save the world, all right? And they're, they're, they're kind of going back in time, time traveling, and uh, just coming together, no matter what. And what we're going to look at here today is another example of a hero of the faith, a superhero of the faith, who is in dynamic partnerships here to, 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 to really teach us something good, all right? Now, the, the passage that we've been kind of highlighting every single week is found in, the, found in the book of Hebrews, and it's chapter 11, 1 to 3, and it reads like this, now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. See, partnerships are really important. We see them all throughout uh, our world and in society. We see it especially in businesses kind of coming together to do something great. I I've highlighted a few of them here, and you might know some of these, but, but partnerships like GoPro and Red Bull, you kind of always see them working together. A Pottery Barn and Sherwin-Williams and these paint colors, right? Uh, Casper and West Elm um, and, and, and BMW. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? We have all these partnerships that come together to do something even better than they could do on their own, and uh, it accomplishes great things. And so we're going to introduce here, you here to, to someone who identified this in their life, in, in a superhero of the faith, in the book of Hebrews again, chapter 11, and uh, her name is Sarah, all right? And we see her mentioned in uh, 11 and 12 uh, in our log here of heroes of the faith. It reads like this, by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was en enabled to bear children because she considered him her faithful who had made the promise. And so from this man and woman, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. We see this uh, idea of Sarah coming on the stage. She, she's, she's about to offer here something amazing, not only in her life and Abraham's life, but, but the life of generations to come. She, she's an unlikely hero of the faith. There, there's many reasons for this, but one of them is that she is a woman. Now, I'm not saying that, that women aren't superheroes, but in this context, I mean, in this day and age, back when she was walking the earth, it was very unlikely that you would have a woman as a superhero of the faith who is listed in this uh, superheroes in chapter 11. And uh, she's living in a male-dominated culture, male-dominated society, not only in her time, but even, even when the book of Hebrews is written, it is a male-dominated society. 
And the author of Hebrews lists 16 people as heroes of the faith, superheroes of the faith. And out of those 16, we only find two are women. We have uh, Rahab and we have Sarah. So highly unlikely, but she's listed here for a reason because she has something to offer. Now, her first appearance in the Bible is found in Genesis 11, 30 here. We see her mention, her story is logged from chapter 11 all the way over to chapter 23. And when she's mentioned it, it kind of encapsulates her dilemma that she finds herself in. It says this, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. See, the author notes the consequence of her faith, though, as we continue on. We find out that she is eventually able to conceive a a child. Not only is she able to conceive a child, she's able to conceive a child at the age of 90. (laughs) At the age of 90, long past normal childbearing years, it only points to one thing. And we're going to find out what that is. We also see it in Hebrews. It It lists the content of her faith that she believes God to be faithful to his word. God has said something, she believes that, that it's going to come, and she is, she is believing in faith that what he said is true. Now, Sarah would, would not only become a, the mother of, of a child of, of promise, it, it, with the birth of Isaac here, she would also be the matriarch, the, the, the mother of an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And so the, the big picture of her life, I mean, if we're, we're taking the, the, the big umbrella view of her life, I think we could break it down into three parts that we're going to be looking at here today. Three important characteristic, uh, characteristics of her life. See, sometimes she's, she, she's depicted as uh, like, a, like a footnote, like a historical footnote in the Bible uh, next to, you know, living in the shadows of her husband, Abraham, uh, which we kind of learned about last week, right? And so to unlock these different views of her life, we really need to segment this into this big picture of three categories. And the first one is this. We know that Sarah is beautiful. She is a beautiful, beautiful woman. I mean, when, when people look at her, they're captivated by her. They, 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 we see this recorded time and time again. We're told in Genesis 12, 11, that as they were about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. I mean, we see this mentioned about her again in chapter 12, verse 14. It reads like this. When Abram went to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was was a very beautiful woman. It's not only does her husband think this, but but other people do. Even another nation, another society. I mean, people recognize her for her beauty, and we find that her beauty is significant when we, when we read the story of her interactions with Pharaoh. And we read her beauty as, as her interactions with Abimelech later on. And so beauty is a, is a universal value. 
It's a universal value in humanity, and uh, no matter what culture you go to, uh, people view beauty as very, very important. And, and, and beauty comes in different ways, in different forms, depending on what society that you are a part of, but every culture or group of people, they strive for beauty. They, they want to look their best, right? You, you get yourself ready in the morning to look your best, to, to present yourself properly in front of other people. And if you, if, if you happen to be attractive in our society, people are almost like, well, you got it made, right? Even studies show that people who are attractive, they, they might get a promotion quicker. They make it hired more. It's, 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 it's a, just a value in our society, and it was no different back then in the ancient world. Beauty was held in a very high manner in society. And so when we think about that, we, we think that you know, Sarah, she should be at the top of her game. She, she should be at the top of her world, the top of society at her time. But sometimes a person's greatest asset becomes their, 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 their greatest liability. And we see this happen in her life as well. You see, in Egypt, her beauty becomes a liability here because it becomes a, almost like a bartering chip in in, 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 in society, especially in the relationship between Pharaoh and her husband, who was really ambitious at the time, Abraham. It, it's this bargaining chip, this, this messed up, weird uh, you know, negotiation that takes place. At this point, she's 65 years old. They're going, they're in Egypt, and uh, Abraham is 75, he's 10 years older, and Abraham displays total disregard for his wife, Sarah's moral purity and physical protection by, by concocting this messed up sister type of plan. And he tells her in Genesis 12, 13, he says this, say you are my sister. Say you're my sister. She, she's, she's his wife, right? Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. There's a lot of I statements here. It's all about Abraham. Abraham wants to protect himself. And so he offers up his wife and he says, he says, say, say my, my sister, let's go with this plan that you're my sister. And then, and then they're not going to hurt me or harm me. And what is, what is her reaction to her husband's real messed up plan here? It's silence. There's no arguing. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's, there's no arguing about the fears of joining Pharaoh's, uh, you know, harem and, and becoming one of his wives. There's, there's nothing like that that takes place. There's no hint of rebellion or betrayal or accusation. In fact, it, it's God who actually brings and reveals this up to Pharaoh by sending the plagues later on. And so there's this messed up, weird dynamic here that is taking place because of her beauty. She's a beautiful woman, but that is, becomes a liability for her. Next, you'll find the Abimelech story. We're not going to get into each of these stories. That's for kind of you to read on your own. But the Abimelech story is very, very similar. But in this, Abraham's failure is like far, far worse. There are elements that are the same, that the family's traveling to a land of, of a pagan king. I mean, that's the same kind of story. And Abraham's sister's strategy to protect himself, I mean, that, that's similar. But at this point, Sarah is 99 
99. And she's still used as a bargaining chip because of her beauty at 99 years old. Absolutely amazing. And although no explicit mention is made of her beauty, the implication here is that her beauty has led to whatever situation that she's in at the time under Pharaoh, under Abimelech, and with Abraham. She's a beautiful woman. We also find that Sarah is a barren woman. She's a barren woman. It's a second kind of description about her. And uh, it, it's, it's mentioned so frequently, almost, almost as much uh, in a disproving kind of, a disapproving kind of way as her beauty was, was an asset to her. Uh, her barrenness is mentioned in, in kind of like a negative sense here. Sarah's first introduced as Abraham's wife with these words. She was barren. She had no children. That's her label. That, that's how she's known. That's how she's recognized is because she can't do this. She can't produce this. She, she doesn't bear fruit in this area. And she's, she, she has no children. And uh, either because of barrenness or old age, we don't exactly know. But it is mentioned six times in this story that she can't have kids. And it's strange it's strange that she makes it into the hero of faith, a superhero of the faith here, because oftentimes fruitfulness is mentioned in Scripture as a sign of God's favor. And up to this point, she doesn't have that fruitfulness, right? And, and this, is, this is a huge dilemma in her life. And it's a huge dilemma at the time in her marriage, I mean, we see several references to, to, to what's going on. I mean, God has promised Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a child. He, he's made these huge promises. And, uh, and we see like this, um, um, a great nation will emerge from them, right? A great nation will come from them. For Abraham, Abraham and, when they, and Lot, when they separate, God reaffirms this promise in Genesis 13, 15, and 16. And so we have a few promises laid out here. We have a, a promise here in Genesis 15, 4. A son from Abraham's own body will be his heir. We have this in Genesis 15, 18, that his descendants will inherit the land. And so God keeps mentioning these things to Abraham and Sarah, that they're going to have this child, and yet She's, she's old and she hasn't had kids. And you can tell that this would be a very, very difficult dynamic in a marriage. And I'm sure it caused a lot of arguments and fights, especially, especially as these promises come to Abraham over a 10-year period. God does not make it clear that, that the heir of Abraham must be born from Sarah. And that's where we get into this messed up situations and strategies when they try to take matters into their own hands and try to, try to almost, almost live this promise out that God has said he would do, but they're kind of tired of waiting for it. And so she's a barren woman, she's a beautiful woman, but she's also, we find out, a blessed woman. She's a blessed woman. It's the final description we see about her is that she's blessed and Sarah's blessing culminates in the birth of Isaac. 
In the birth of Isaac, God is, God is displaying the supernatural power that I am going to give you a child. His name is going to be Isaac. This is something that I've promised you. I've told you long ago. I told you it was going to happen. And now it has. When God specifically promises that their heir will come through Sarah, he blesses Sarah twice. The first way he blesses her is that she's the mother of a son of promise. This supernatural son, this, this, this thing that God said he would do, she gets to be his mother. The second, though, is that she becomes the matriarch, the mother, not only of a supernatural gift here, a son, but of an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And so to highlight the importance of, of this, this partnership that takes place, this relationship, this blessing in Sarah's life, God, God does this by, by, by showing the importance of it through a name change. And we see, we see Abraham's name change, we see Sarah's name change, and uh, this double name change takes place in Genesis 17, 5 and 15. Abraham, who was originally named Abram, and uh, which meant the exalted father. His name is switched to Abraham, which is the father of multitudes. And Sarah, she, she switched her, her name is switched from Sarai to Sarah. And uh, both her names, they actually mean princess. But, but it's, it, and so it's not as significant of a name change here, but it's, it's an identifier that, that something significant took place. There's something that happened in their life. And what happened is that God came through on what he said he would do. And so what's, what's Sarah's legacy I mean, what, what does she leave us with as a superhero of the faith? Why is she actually mentioned here in the book of Hebrews? See, Hebrews gives us an amazing snapshot of Sarah as a woman with unmistakable faith. The way that she conducts herself, the way that she lives her life, she's not perfect, she does make mistakes, but she definitely lives in such a way to honor God, living a life of faithfulness. See, in only two verses, we see what she brings to the table in her, in her legacy and what she leaves behind. We see her earthly life and we see her eternal legacy. Earthly legacy and eternal legacy. And so let's check out this chart and, and see what I mean when I say that. See, she has this partnership with Abraham and, 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 and her husband, right? This partnership that she is fiercely loyal to him. Even when she, he makes mistakes, she sticks by his side. It's the promise of a son in life here. And that's Isaac. He's, he's a miracle boy. He he's, has amazing faith. And, and it's the faith of Sarah. And it's mentioned all. It encapu encapsulates this in Hebrews 11, verse 11. And so that's the earthly kind of legacy that she leaves behind. But there's an eternal legacy that we find here too. Her partnership with God is the promise of a people, not just a son, but, but an entire people. And that is, happens in, 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 through Israel and the nation of Israel. And she's an unlike, this unlikely seed. She's an unlikely nation, the, the faithfulness of God. And it's, it's all this is encapsulated in Hebrews 11, verse 12. And so it's a twofold legacy that she le uh, leaves us as we read that book of Hebrews. I mean, she, she's a remarkable woman. She recognizes that the life of faith, it's, it's, this, it's, a, it's a life of partnership. It's a life, life of, of working together. It's a life of sharpening each other and pressing forward. 
See, she has a, a partnership horizontally here, an earthly partnership with her husband. But she also has this vertical partnership with God. And what she can't do on her own, she can do, she can do great things for the kingdom together in her partnerships. And so the biggest question that, that I think I have out of this, and maybe, maybe you've identified it as well, is will my deepest longings come to pass? The thing that I want the most. And so for Sarah, it was to have this child and it was to have children, something that she probably gave over to God, that she turned over to him, that she prayed about, and then God delivers this, this, this message to her. And so how do the things that I want in my life, or the things that I long for, or the things that I believe God has called me to do, uh, will those things come to pass? Will they happen? Will they not happen? And how long do I wait for them? See, the life of faith, it'll fulfill your deepest longings, but it's a process. It's a process that requires uh, the, the sandpaper of, of adversity in life. It doesn't always go like we planned. It doesn't always happen as we thought it would. Like Sarah and many others, we will encounter delays. We're going to have obstacles in our lives. But we know that God is working. That he is continuing to work. That he started something in us and that he will see it to completion. And so where, where do we go from that? I, I kind of have the, these points here listed out in our, in our next steps, a little different here today, but, but, but maybe to identify some, some misunderstandings that we might have when it comes to partnerships and, and, and when it comes to this idea of like, will the things that God has told me or the things that I desire, will they come to pass? And here's where Satan kind of intervenes and speaks of our misunderstandings of God. First thing is this. That God does not have a larger purpose in view. I, I just like, I think about this. Well, he's forgotten about me. I'm one in, in eight billion people that he, he you know, I, I'm just doing this on my own. Number two is this misunderstanding that God is unconcerned about, about refining us through adversity, that, that, that he, he's, he's, he doesn't care about it. It's just like bad things are going on and we're not getting pruned, pruned and we're not getting molded and shaped in this process. It's just, we're just getting beat down. Or, or number three, another misunderstanding is our human perspective is, is exhaustive. It's not, it's not limited. Like we, 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 we think that we know everything, right? Or number four, there's no future. There's no ultimate destiny. Faith's deepest longings here. It's like we want this stuff, but we don't know that there's a bigger thing taking place, that there's, that there's more to life than what we see now. These are, these are the ways that dev, devil speaks to us, right? The, these are the lies that we believe about the things that, that we hope for or long for. And so let's bring some perspective to that in our next steps. So here's some, here's some qualifications, God's qualifications, things to focus on and to understand a little bit better. Number one, a temporal qualification. Maybe, maybe what's going on in your life, maybe, maybe what you feel like you need to do or what God has promised you, they're not fulfilled immediately. It, 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 it's going to may, maybe take some time. You, you might not have that, that kid until you're you know, old, just like Sarah, right? Or number two, the procedural qualification, they're not fulfilled easily without struggle. And so these things, it might be a struggle through your life. There might be disappointments. There might be that sandpaper of adversity as you pursue the things of God. 
Number three, it could be a perceptual qualification. They're, they're not fulfilled as understood initially. So God, God has told you something, but we don't fully understand it right now. And so we thought it was this, but it turns out to be that, right? Or number four, the eternal qualification. They may not be fulfilled fully in this lifetime. That this is just, just, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg in our eternal existence. And this life is preparing us for something more. And God might, might wait. He might be doing this in, in an eternal perspective rather than a temporal, earthly perspective. And so to understand the way that God works, these qualifications of God in understanding these things that, that, that we feel like we need to do or we feel like God has told us, that, that we need to understand that God is God and that we are not. And to keep pressing on and to keep not giving up and to work together as we sharpen one another to accomplish something great that God has called us to do. And so I, I want to pray for us as we kind of remember and, and understand this legacy of this woman of the faith, this superhero of the Old Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for Sarah. And uh, she is fiercely loyal. She, 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 she loves you, God, and she loves her husband, and, and she's trying to do her best, God, and she wants to represent you in the things of life, and yet you've, you've told her this, and, and it's got to be difficult as she presses on through life rep, trying to represent you well, God, and, and we can identify with that. There are things that you've called us to do. There, there are people that you've called us to reach. There are dreams and desires that you've, that you've, you've built within us, God. And yet sometimes we, 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 don't, we don't know if they're actually going to take place or they're actually going to happen, God. And we want to we turn those things over to you. We want to live our lives like Sarah, this woman of the faith, and press on to re, leave a, a rich legacy for you and your kingdom's sake. And so work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.